Who was she really? Eli Kedward. That's what most people say. <clears throat> she was accused of witchcraft after some of the children in town said that she'd taken blood from them. There wasn't much of a trial system back then. Townspeople took her out to these woods, tied her to a tree, and left her to die of exposure. In the spring, they went back to look for her body, but there was no trace of it. I assumed she was eaten by animals or something, but then people in the town started disappearing. First the children who'd accused her and their families, and then others. Eventually, everyone who was left just abandoned their homes, fled the town. Whoa. What? <laughs> well, I, mean, I was just going to add. According to this book I read, published in 1809, they didn't just tie Illy Kedwin to a tree. I mean, they did tie her to a tree, but they tied her up really high, and they strung these heavy rocks to her arms and <sighs> legs as weights stretching her. Ugh. They left her to die on a makeshift rack. Oh, okay. Thanks. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Pod and The Pendulum, your horror movie podcast dedicated to cover every horror movie franchise, one movie and one episode at a time. And we are here today to wrap up our coverage of the Blair Witch Project series with our discussion on 2016's The Blair Witch, the film written by... Uh, Simon Barrett and directed by Adam Wingard as the last collaboration uh, of this pair, uh, two gentlemen that brought you films like Your Next, The Guest, and I believe A Horrible Place to Die. Or Horrible Way to Die or Horrible Place to Die. Yeah, Horrible Way to Die. Horrible Way to Die with A.J. Bowen. So I am joined once again by my co-host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we doing this morning? I'm good. I'm, I'm tired as hell, but I'm, I'm good. I stayed it up really is- last night. It is early as hell for you right now because you're on West Coast well, time. It's not that. I, I just I write super late at night and I'm yeah. working on like two huge extensive retrospectives, one on uh, Halloween three and one on yeah. the complete the complete like Firefly family saga. Right. So I've been talking to so many people for those. So last night I think I went to bed around like four in the morning. Got up and at, those like, are for, for Scream oh, magazine, screen. correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. and you just got the cover for your Elm Street work if I yeah realize. yeah that, that was exciting uh i mean i hope i hope that happens for halloween three because tom atkins had a lot of funny things to say when i talked to him this week <laughs> excellent excellent yeah. did you ask him ask him about starting the atkins diet because that's the <laughs> <laughs> no that, that's Scotch a and cigarette yeah. opportunity yes. yeah. a six pack we are joined by two excellent guests today. First up, we have a returning guest. He was last on with us when we did our Friday the 13th Part 3 episode, which feels like it was like 10 years ago now. It feels like it was a long time ago. Uh, from iHorror.com and the newly launched Dead Time Stories podcast, we have Jacob Davidson. Hey, happy to be back. Happy to have you back, my friend. How have you been? I've been well, uh, like uh, like you just announced, uh, doing a horror anthology uh, podcast right now. So I'm pretty uh, happy with that. And uh, this the Halloween season began a couple weeks ago in early September. So uh, things have been pretty fun and exciting. Like I went to Not Scary Farm a few days ago, had a great time there. I'm actually going to Halloween Horror Nights tonight, so that should be fun. And uh, also hey, super Jess. excited. <laughs> yes. There's so many haunts, so little time. What is not scary farm? That just uh, sounds like a farm. 
<laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, well, it, it's a bit regional. Uh, there is this amusement park called Knott's Berry Farm uh, ah. out in uh, Buena Vista. And they do their own kind of haunt, uh, horror-themed uh, uh, transformation of the park called Not Scary Farm, which uh, is actually personally one of my favorites of the year because, like, it's all original mazes. They have a pretty good production budget and got some good scares and themes. Like, they got a waxwork-themed uh, house this year, so that was excellent. That was so it's not as in, like, Don Knotts, not N-O-T. Yeah, like it'd be kind of disappointing. <laughs> it'd be kind of disappointing like going up. to a theme park that was like not scary park, and it's like it's a park, but it's not. It's not actually park scary, festival. right? No, would be yeah. Don Knotts could be pretty scary right now because he's, he's been he's got those big old eyes. Oh, he's been dead for years too. Oh, I mean, that's scary. <laughs> horrifying, yeah. if, you know. Hey, there you go. I mean, like the fish who saved Pittsburgh was great and all, but like I don't want zombie Don Knotts. Guiding me through like a berry farm, you know. So that'd be, that'd be freaky. And um, if she, yeah, uh, I feel like this is a comedy episode. <laughs> aren't they all? Oh, uh, uh, and I also just wanted to say, uh, Beyond Fest is starting next week. Uh, yes. The big genre festival over at the uh, American Cinematheque Egyptian Theater, and it's mm-hmm. setting up to be some good times. Opening night is uh, Color Out of Space with Nicolas Cage, and Daniel is in Real by Adam Egypt Mortimer. Super yeah. stoked. That's excellent. Are you involved with the fest? Are you doing any hosting or programming? Uh, no, I mean, I'll be attending. Okay. Although I, I also work at the Sister Theater, the Egyptian Theater, sure. the Aero Theater in Santa Monica. Excellent, excellent. And we have a second guest as well. If she wants to stay on with us at this point, I think we might <laughs> drive people away that aren't used to me. Uh, we are joined by Spooky Sarah from the uh, genre site, SpookySarahSays.com, as well as the uh, site Geeks Who Eat. That's TwoGeeksWhoEat.com, which is described as the intersection between food and geekdom. Um, Sarah, how are we doing today? I am fantastic, you know, despite waking up at the butt crack of dawn after working on recipes all night <laughs> and then realizing working? at about 11 o'clock that I still needed to rewatch Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. Oops. Sorry so, about that. So I what was are like, you- oh, that's, that's interesting. That, time to do that. <laughs> so what are you cooking up right now? Is it, do you do like themes around certain holidays or times of year? Like, is it spooky season for cooking or do you just kind of... Yeah, it's, it's right now we're we're like we're always big fans of horror, so we we tend to do a lot of horror all year. But now we're really we're really really working on it, and so we did one last night for the new Creep Show series on Shutter, and mm-hmm. then we did a one cut of the dead recipe that excellent was okay. real interesting and required a lot more work than we thought we were going to have to do, and. <laughs> turned out to be quite chaotic <laughs> what made it chaotic like what were some of the elements that made this we bought a new type of rice that we hadn't really worked with before and then mm-hmm. realized that you either have to cook it in like a pressure cooker or it takes like an overnight soak mm-hmm. and we were not prepared for that and we have two mm-hmm. recipes that we have to shoot today for midsummer and so we are uh, <laughs> just a little busy Okay. So we'll definitely try to be conscious of time then as we uh, record. Oh, that's what my today. husband's doing downstairs. He's good. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> um, 
So how we always like to start with our guests is I'd like to know what it was about the franchise that we are about to discuss that said, you know, I want to join you guys to just to talk about this on a Sunday morning. Because like you said, it's early for you guys. Like it's sun has only been up for a little bit now. And here we are talking about horror movies at nine in the morning, your time. Um, and Sarah, I remember when we first announced that we were going to do the Blair Witch. You had shot me a message going like, I'm a huge Blair Witch fan. Here are my bona fides. And you shot me like some photos of all the paraphernalia you had for the Blair Witch project, books and posters and Blu-rays. And I'm like, yep, you're in like, you know, and, you know, and, and really, you know what I feel like? yep. I, I feel like Sarah, like knowing how into the, the, the whole series and mythology she is, I feel like her and Marcos Cotis should just go head and he, like head to head at next year's fantastic fest for like oh, the shit. ultimate fan. Do a family feud. Do a Jeopardy style. I was reading how Brad McClark got his ass beat by his girlfriend a couple yep. days ago at Fantastic Fest. And man, it would be really cool. Like, Marcos, I love you, but man, that, that, that fight would be fun. What would they yeah, argue I mean, about? They both like the movies. Like, what would they argue about? Uh, they argued about who was a, I think, a more uh, interesting character, Michael Myers or Jason. And obviously, Brad had Jason. Yeah. And uh, Becky had Michael Myers, and from from what I've read, uh, she pretty much just handed him his ass. Mm-hmm. I believe in, that. in both, both regards. I love them both. They're two of my favorite people in the world. I can't wait to see them at Telluride Horror in three weeks. But I, or actually at this point, two weeks when this goes up, um, I believe that and encourage it to repeat itself out in tell your ride so sarah what is it about i'm sorry that's a long way of getting around to say what is it about the blair witch series that was so appealing i mean i saw the first blair witch when i was in high school and i was i was slightly late because i saw it when it came out on video and not when it was um in the theater but it was it was the first time i had ever seen found footage and i am to this day a found footage junkie i will watch (laughs) any of them all of them, even the good, the bad, the ugly. And so for me, it just, it sold me. And there's so much mythology, so much backstory, so much lore. And I'm a, I was a history major in college. So all of that just like speaks to me on every level. And, you know, when you're a teenage girl, you go through your witchcraft phase. And so that also at that point was when I was into that kind of stuff. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just on every level spoke to me okay. and it, it stayed with me. Excellent. And how about yourself, Jacob? Well, it's interesting because uh, when the first Blair Witch Project movie came out back in 99, I was just a kid. So I was too young to, um, you know, actually see it because, uh, you know, it, it's not actually it's not that violent a movie, but it's still rated R. But it's just the marketing was so good, you know, that even without actually seeing the movie, it was kind of like I absorbed the scares for osmosis because, like, you know, they had the commercials running all the time and they had that documentary on TV, Curse of the Blair Witch, uh, that really sucked you into the movie. And. Yeah, just, it, you know, like when I was a kid, like, that's the thing, like, you know, it was at a time where it could be believed that it was like a real thing. And yeah, and it really just stuck with me over the years. Excellent. Okay. When was the first time you actually saw the Blair Witch Project proper? Probably uh, middle school or high school. Uh, 
you know, if I, I think I rented it from Blockbuster on VHS or something, which was a pretty good way of doing it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it because it wasn't quite was I what I was expected, but it was still scary. But it just speaks to the power of the movie because it's almost like uh, a Rorschach test of horror. Because you know, like even before seeing it, you know, at that time, you think you think about oh, what what's going to happen to them? Oh, what's so scary about it and even you know in the movie proper it's like you know a lot of it is interpretive so it's like a lot of your own fears are reflected mm. from the movie excellent all right so sarah you mentioned you're a huge horror footy foot oh sorry <laughs> you're a huge found footage junkie um and i would say that once the blair witch project comes out that format kind of goes away. Like it's, it doesn't, you know, people kind of give the Blair Witch Project credit for kickstarting found footage movies or found footage horror. But I would argue that that's really not the case, that it wouldn't be until 2009 when Paranormal Activity is released and that movie goes on to make a bajillion dollars that. And for us, it's Blumhouse. If I remember, it's the first mm-hmm. real hit from Blumhouse. Um, you could mm-hmm. call that the the you know like just like uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street is the series that built New Line Cinema, the Paranormal Activity series. That's the series that builds Blumhouse into the brand that they are today. Um, it's really not until that movie comes out that we see this like explosion of found footage movies that runs, I'd say from 2009 to about 2016, um, including six paranormal activity movies. What are some of the movies you guys remember? Cause it seemed like every other month, a new found footage movie was being released in the theaters. Like what are some of the ones you guys remember from this period? I remember seeing grave encounters at a small little theater here in, mm-hmm. um, it's not even open anymore. It was a theater in Mesa called the Royale and it was a tiny little one screen theater. And I remember seeing grave encounters there and all oh, that movie scared the piss out of me. Like mm-hmm. that movie still holds up. It's one of my all time favorites. It's if someone's looking to get into found footage, I usually recommend Blair Witch and grave encounters. Those dudes like, hate me. Passion. <laughs> the, the grave encounters dudes. They hate oh, me. The vicious passion. brothers. I hope they've lessened their hate over the years, but uh, I think Grave Encounters, or it might have been the second one, was one of the first movies I reviewed for Icons of Fright, and I, I had no idea what I was doing at that time. Like I gave it such a mean-spirited review that I regret to this day, and those guys hate me with a passion because of it. Oh. The second so one what isn't you're saying as good is... as the first one, though. Like if mm. if you went into that not seeing the first one or like if you're not like a diehard found footage fan, I could see how the second one would not be something you would love. Well, what's what's funny is in hindsight, I think I've revisited since and been like, that's really not that bad. But like I was mean, like this movie yeah. fucking sucks. Uh, these fucking people are like it was like, what the hell was I thinking? So you're saying the damage has been done mm-hmm. and we should not reach out to them when we eventually cover Grave Encounters Parts 1 and 2. We would not be getting the same sort of reception that we've gotten. Or or, or better could, yet. We could cut this out, but I mean, like we've said, I think maybe off air, there is a reason that Simon Barrett didn't come on this episode. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, Grave Encounters. So, cool. <laughs> 
I was going to say, better yet, you could do a big uh, uh, episode. Let's see, uh, forget it, like a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just uh, burying the hatchet episode between you guys. You know what we should do? We should just start that episode with like, okay, Death Wave guys. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. could you get them and Adam Marcus and his wife on, and anyone else that you've slighted, and just have like an intervention episode? It would be you know fantastic. Gary's apology tour. It'll be like that UA Bowl thing where all the critics fought him. Next year at Fantastic Fest, everyone that hates me can just get in the ring and just beat the shit out of me. Oh, God. So, so, aside from grave, yeah. so aside from Grave Encounters, like around this time, The Last Exorcist hits in 2010. And that's a, another movie that makes – does really well at the box office. Um, the Devil Inside is dumped into theaters in January, but – despite probably having one of the worst endings of any movie I've ever seen, it makes a ton of money. I mean, it goes on, they make, and the thing about these movies is they're all really cheap to make. Like they're all like a million bucks, a couple million dollars tops. And they're making anywhere from 10, 20, 30, $40 million in theaters. So the return on investment is great. I remember Paramount at the time who would kind of co-finance or uh, co really helped Blumhouse bring uh, paranormal activity to the big screen said, we're going to just have this division that dumps a million bucks into 10 movies and allow these things to come out in theaters. And it's going to be impossible for us to lose money on um, Bobcat Coldwaith, who's one of my favorite filmmakers does oh, yeah. the Willow Creek, which yeah. I think is the spiritual successor to the Blair Witch project in many ways. Mm. Ty West follows up the innkeepers and house of the devil with the sacrament, which is kind of a found footage retelling of the Jim Jones story. There's films like Unfriended, which all takes place over Skype. Uh, Mark Duplass, who a lot of people call, let's say, maybe the godfather of like Mumblegore or Mumblecore movies, does uh, Creep, which is a fantastic found footage movie. So there is a period of time where you could not, if you try to avoid found footage movies, you simply couldn't. Have you seen uh, Afflicted? Yes, that's great. God, I love that movie. Oh, sorry, go on. No, no, I was just saying that's one that just really stood out to me. I, I really like that movie. Yeah, personal favorite of mine would be uh, Adam Robitaille's The Taking of Deborah Logan. That was a oh, really yeah. That's yeah. a great movie. Yeah, that creepy shot of her swallowing the kid's head whole. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. It's just, just so well done. Um, you know, in movies that I wouldn't – you wouldn't think would be on on paper like – Horror movie all taking place over Skype sounds like a terrible idea, um, but Unfriended is really creepy and I think really well done. And I even enjoy the follow-up uh, Unfriended Dark Web. I think those are very clever movies that, you know, we talked about Book of Shadows. Uh, one of the things Jerry and I discussed was Joe Berlinger's real aversion to what he saw of a mock making a mockery of the documentary format where I think yeah. you just can see like, this is just a new form of storytelling that allows almost anyone to get involved at some level. Oh no. Well, I, I think I, with like our like level of use of social media and you know, how we all document our life through like Instagram stories and mm -hmm. you know, Snapchat and this, that, and the other, we really are setting like, 
we basically like set ourselves up to live like a found footage lifestyle. Sure. Yeah, and I think one of the big appeals of found footage and what makes it scary to a lot of people is that, you know, a lot of these stories are purported to uh, capture somebody's last known uh, Mm -hmm. moments or, you know, their last uh, location. You know, like, it goes back even further than that because, you know, you look at stuff like uh, the works of H.P. Lovecraft, a lot of it are presented in journals. or Same with uh, Frankenstein, you know, that they're the journals or testament of the uh, character before Mm -hmm. whatever terrible fate happened to them. So, you know, there's just some something really frightening about that to kind of get into their head or, you know, to kind of see uh, what ha- what happened to them or mm-hmm. what was going on in whatever supernatural weirdness or what, le- what led to their deaths. So one, of the, uh, one of the films that kind of played in that kind of sandbox, so to speak, that I really loved uh, that nobody seemed to like was uh, The Possession of Michael King. Mm-hmm. Oh. I really liked that movie because what that was with this man, uh, his wife passed away and he just hated life so much that he wanted to disprove every kind of like, you know, mystic- mysticism, all this stuff. So he he basically went to a necromancer, uh, Satanist, someone that practices black magic, everyone basically daring them to unleash whatever on him to prove it all wrong. And then, you know, out of one of those, and he's filming it the whole time for his documentary thing. And one of them just happens to be real. And it completely just, I love that movie so much. And I think that that's another case of like found footage or that kind of documentarian uh, kind of approach that just really was done well. Mm. Well, this footage, this type of filmmaking becomes so, popular for a time even director like michael levinson who is the director of the natural tootsie good morning vietnam and i mean rain man um does the bay and i think it's 2012 which is an ecological horror film um done in the found footage style using news footage and cell phone camera reproduction and it's a really creepy um ecological horror horror movie but done by someone with an oscar pedigree so it just shows you that anyone at this point now it's no longer just oh anyone can make one of these things on the cheap and we're going to be dismissive of it you know there's a real movement to say like actually this is you know a sandbox that we want to play in i mean and now that's around the time that steven steven soderbergh starts saying i'm going to start shooting movies on iphones because i can and they're not necessarily found footage movies like bubble i think is the first attempt at that and then um is it unrest which is his follow-up um mostly takes place yeah unsane thank you very much um so you're finding that these you know, directors with real pedigrees are excited by the ability to shoot almost like guerrilla style movies on the cheap and tell a different kind of story. Well, not even just a found footage thing. Uh, what found footage also opened the door for uh, was just a lot of risks. I mean, Paranormal Activity was made for next to nothing, made so much money that mm-hmm. it, it made Blumhouse start like right from the beginning. Blumhouse was like, oh, Paranormal Activity. Activity made so much money. We're going to give these very small budgets to some of our favorite directors and see what they can do because of the success of Paranormal mm-hmm. Activity. Not even just found footage. And they were like, you know what? James Wan, here's, I think, a million and a half dollars. Can you make a good movie out of it? Mm-hmm. He makes Insidious. It 
does what almost a hundred million. They do the same mm-hmm. risk. Let's give Rob Zombie a couple million dollars. What can you do, Lords of Salem? That didn't work out as well. But I mean, I'm glad <laughs> that it happened. I'm very glad that that right. happened. But like, because of the success of found footage and paranormal activity, more specifically, we got so many just risks coming out of, from Blumhouse and other places. Mm-hmm. I do wish that Blumhouse would take some of this money because like they made enough profit off 2018's Halloween to fund two dozen movies at a million dollars each. I well, wish they I would take they more risks on I wish they would take risks on more filmmakers of color, female women filmmakers. I wish they would say you know, we have a re- I hate to say we have a responsibility as a studio but because I know at the, the end of the day time, it's, though, it's, it's it's a business. At the same time, though, they really have. Uh, if you look into the Into the Dark series that Blumhouse has done, hmm. there have been so many great female filmmakers or filmmakers of color. I mean, Gigi Guerrero, uh, Chelsea yep. Stardust. Uh, Blumhouse is actually – I know there was that piece that came out, I think, last year where everyone crucified Jason Blum without really getting what he was saying. But Blumhouse has sure. actually done a great job of that. I mean, two of the movies that came out last year – Blumhouse put out and they were led by what 60 or 70 year old females, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis and Lynn mm-hmm. Shea. Like if you know what I mean? Like what other studios taking those chances? Uh, you know, and Chelsea Stardust. I mean, she's had such a good, she's doing so good in her career. And a lot of that Blumhouse and Jason kind of gave her her start or Gigi Guerrero. Like I said, she started out with into the dark and now she's directing the purge TV show. Like I, I do think Blumhouse is actively trying to do that. I think there's more of an effort now, but I think Black Christmas, which hits this December, is their first theatrical horror movie helmed by a woman. See, I'm excited about that. I'm excited for mm-hmm. that aspect, but looking at the trailer, I'm not so excited about the actual film. Yeah. Yeah, so I think they're, but they just they're, they have money falling out of their ears at this point, basically. Yeah, as, is a long way of saying. So now it's basically a long way around of saying now the idea is if we're going to revisit the Blair Witch Project, this idea of let's go back to doing found footage makes more sense than it did in the year two thousand yeah. uh, when Book of Shadows came out. And now you don't want to do more of the same old, same old. Now it's like yeah, we can return to that well because. There's a market for it. We know people will turn out for these movies. Right? Yeah. So around 2011, Greg Hale and Eduardo Sanchez are actively going out and pitching ideas to Lionsgate, who had acquired Artisan for another Blair Witch Project movie. And Sanchez says, we have the idea of let's go all the way back to the beginning and tell the story of Ellie Kettered. Um, and in 2014, Robert Eggers, the witch comes out. And I think Sanchez has said like, this is kind of the idea, you know, obviously not one-to-one, but that kind of story, like telling a very period piece, uh, dramatic horror movie about the start of the Blair witch, uh, is what he had for an idea. Lionsgate passes. And it's around this time, Simon Barrett and Adam Wingarder, they're huge fans of the Blair Witch Project, say, what's going on with this series? 
Um, like it's just sitting there. Like, why is no one making any more movies? Why are we not telling any stories with this? And Lionsgate says off the success of your next says, well, why don't you guys take a shot at it? And they're given the reins to create in secret, another Blair Witch movie. I think no, honestly, like having followed their career and I think it's a bummer that they're not working together these days. Cause I think they made a solid team, but after a horrible way to die, uh, you're next. The guest, which I love with a passion. Like if I I couldn't pick other than Sanchez and Myrick, I couldn't pick another duo that I would have been as excited to see do it as Wingard and Barrett. Like I love those both of their works so much. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it was it was really a, per- a perfect choice considering you know they were doing the VHS movies before that mm-hmm. the uh, found footage horror anthologies, which were both really cool and. Uh, and I feel like uh, the, being in an anthology format, they really kind of uh, rekindled uh, or, or they were able to give a more unique spin on found footage at that time. Um, and also, like, I thought uh, and I thought the marketing, you know, when they first kind of announced it was interesting for Blair Witch, because remember, they didn't say it was Blair Witch at first. It was announced as The Woods. What are your impressions of the actual Blair Witch itself, the 2016 film by uh, Adam Barrett, Wingard and Simon Barrett. What were your thoughts upon first seeing this movie? Did it meet your expectations or, you know, come up a little short? Well, um, I I was lucky enough to uh, go to a kind of premiere screening in Burbank uh, when it first when it first came out in 2016. And they really set the mood like there was uh, <laughs> the little Blair Witch sticks set up throughout the theater. And I think, uh, you know, they kind of they kind of set up the air with like some fake trees and stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I was very excited for the movie. My expectations were high. And, you know, honestly, I really I really liked it. Uh, I thought it was really scary and I thought it. Uh, did things in such a different way to uh, set itself apart from the original or extend itself from the original and build up on the um, mythology of the Blair Witch. And, you know, this is a hill I, I'm going, like I have to die on every time, but I thought it was uh, one of the scariest movies that year. Like it, free, like it, the third act scared the hell out of me. Gave, actually gave mm-hmm. me nightmares. Swear to God. I really... I really dug it. I uh, I saw an advanced screening of it because we did a recipe for it, and it was I was it was everything as a Blair Witch fan that I wanted. Like it was, I loved the return to found footage. It was scary. I liked that they added like new technology to it, like with the drones. I liked that they added new mythology to it. You know, with saying like you have to spend the night in the forest for it to happen. It just doesn't. You know, like they added new levels to it and they added kind of new elements that the Blair Witch franchise hadn't used, like, you know, more like body horror and, you know, more of the supernatural, like the obvious supernatural versus, you know, were they just was there really something supernatural or was it maybe just, you know, them going crazy because they were lost? Like, I really liked that they added to the mythos in addition to, you know, just making a found footage movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was this recipe you created for the, what was the recipe you created for the uh, movie? We did a, a cocktail called the black eyed stick man. And it's <laughs> a, 
It's a riff great. on the Black Eyed uh, Susan, which is a Maryland cocktail that they serve at the Preakness. And we this mm. cocktail, it was the first like time we had ever worked with a PR company here in town. And I was like, Blair Witch is my all time. I like I literally was so unprofessional when I talked to this gal on the phone. I was like, I'm the hugest Blair Witch fan. You just need to let me do this because I have to do this. And I like I gushed mm-hmm. for probably an hour about how much I loved the Blair Witch project. And so mm. she was like, okay, go for it. Do it. We drove two hours outside of Phoenix to go shoot photos in the middle of the forest of this cocktail. Mm-hmm. So we're literally, you know, bringing a cooler with us. We have cups of ice, a cocktail shaker, and we're in the middle of the forest making a cocktail. And That's it was, great. it was nice. real hilarious. And there's, there's a video on our YouTube channel of this like little found footage of my husband looking for the spirit Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty funny. We even used a Maryland-based vodka. I I went all out. I'm a I'm a history major by trade, so I you know bought like a book called The Forgotten Cocktails of Maryland. Like I went all out. This was this nice. what did you jam. discover? What did you discover? Like when you when you say you were a history a history major, I take it like this kind of movie. And the Blair Witch in particular must have had a special sort of appeal because it tickles that kind of like persons who love mythology and folklore because you're getting more than just like a monster on screen, but you're getting actual backstory overall. How much oh, digging are you doing as a, as a super fan? How much time are you spending on your own to kind of like dig into all the lore? And is there anything you came up with that maybe the average fan maybe wouldn't have known that made you appreciate these movies all that much more? Oh, man. I mean, I've read – I think there's only two of the D.A. Stern books that I have not yet read, but I own them both. Mm-hmm. He wrote four books total. Like he did the Blair Witch dossier. He did the Book of Shadows book. He did one on Rustin Parr. And then there's one on Kindle that he wrote, but I'm not entirely sure what it's about. It just has Blair Witch in the title. So I I picked that up. It's the one I'm thinking of. It's not that great. Oh, well, you can't win them all. (laughs) Right. But I mean, I just, when I was reading, like, I love, like, Blair Witch 2 has a lot more of the Easter eggs in it than, um, than Blair Witch does, but like there's a scene when the guy in Blair Witch in Book of Shadows is fixing the refrigerator in the little mini mart, and he says, mm-hmm. I'm finished now. That's what Rustin Parr said when he came back to town after killing all the kids. Or he says, like, I'm finished now. And then like if you look in the yeah. tools, there's a little stick man in his tools. Mm-hmm. And so like just stuff like that, I'm just like, it gives me goosebumps and I get so excited. And I have both of the documentaries, one of which Curse of Blair, which is now available on Vudu. Like you can buy it on Vudu finally. So mm-hmm. I just I love all of that backstory. Ellie Kedward. I really do hope at some point they try to do a historical style found foot or not found footage, but like, you know, backstory of the Blair Witch and all of that. Even a Rustin Parr documentary, I think, would be real interesting. Mm. But okay, question. We got that, though, uh, the Burkittsville Seven. That's true. We got that type of. Yeah, I, I have a question I'm though. Sorry. Like being a big fan of it, and it, and Sarah saying that you would want that film. Who would you want to make that film? If you had oh, free yeah. reign, who would you want to make the next Blair Witch film? Honestly, James Wan. 
I would love to see him just like his work with like the conjuring and stuff, like his atmospheric horror just like is everything to me. And mm-hmm. I would love to see him do it. I'd, I'd like to see someone like Blair Witch. That's true. I'd like to see someone kind of like Robert Eggers. I mean, they, they talked yeah. about, you know, they wanted it to be somewhat kind of how the witch was. And I think with the witch and especially from what the lighthouse looks like, I mean, God damn, like to have someone like that to make a, a film based in the Blair Witch uh, mythology. Uh, I was going to say uh, they are kind of ex- expanding on uh, the franchise now because like that Blair Witch video game just came out for Xbox. Have I'm you guys really played that? hoping it comes out for PS4. I'm like, guys, Same. guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's Yeah. I believe it's an Xbox exclusive yeah. at this stage. It's the yeah. reason I didn't sell my X. One of the two reasons I didn't get rid of my Xbox one was to play that game. And also it's a pretty good Blu-ray player. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, Sarah, with your answer towards saying someone like a James Wan, I think that 2016, I think it's a, a good lead into like 2016 very, feels very much like, the kind of horror movie that is popular in its time where the Blair Witch Project, I think is a bit, it's a, not a bit more, but is a groundbreaking kind of first of its kind film as my, I really enjoy 2016's Blair Witch, but it includes a lot of the trappings that are growing more popular in horror at this time. Insidious tends to be a roller coaster theme park type of horror movie. Uh, the Conjuring tends to be a very fun, scary, loud noises, stinger type of horror movie overall. And that's not a mark of those. Like, those are fun movies to watch. I We did Insidious as a family movie night not too long ago. Um, I really enjoy the uh, two chapters of It that we got. Um, and they're that kind of movie. And the Blair Witch 2016 is that kind of horror movie. Like you said, Sarah, like a lot of body horror, a lot of like those subtle noises in the woods from the 1999 movie become uh, crashes and bangs. This movie is actually uh, rate. It's uh, where the Blair Witch Project is like 2.0 stereo, like not really a if you have a great home theater system, you're not going to get a lot from it. The 2016 Blair Witch is Dolby Atmos, which adds height effects, which adds more yeah. surround effects overall. It's meant to be a much more immersive movie. And watching that in my basement yesterday for the rewatch, I'm like, I felt completely enveloped by everything going on around me. It's quite fun to watch in that regard. I, you know, when I I revisited it uh, yesterday, actually, for the first time since uh, theatrical run. And uh, I loved it last night. It, it got me so excited, especially that last half hour. I mean, I just mm-hmm. loved it. My nitpicks that when I saw it uh, initially, when it first came out, I are still there. I wish it would have been more of a uh, intimate setting as far as characters. I feel like there's too many characters in the film. Uh, and and I, I feel like there are a few missed opportunities. Uh, the drone, I think, is one of the best additions to that film whatsoever but i feel like they almost didn't utilize it the way they could have mm-hmm. you know it's it's like maybe two or three scenes with it and you know it crashes and i feel like having a drone in a blair witch film 
could just lead to some of the most exciting sequences ever, especially if that drone is around towards the finale. You know, like how amazing would that be? Uh, and I, I think the only nitpick that I have still, and it, and it's it's more like a me thing. Like I'm I'm not dissing anything that Winger or Barrett did, but uh, I I feel like maybe if they had gotten to do a sequel, if people would have showed up to watch the movie, they could have uh, maybe explained a little more. But it was my understanding the first time I saw it that that kind of creature thing you see at the end was the witch. But after listening to the commentary and reading and stuff, like they kind of said it wasn't the witch. It was just one of the many kind of things that, you know, the evil kind of puts out there. And so I, I remember watching it initially thinking like, damn, you guys showed the witch. Like it's not exciting anymore. You know, but like watching it yesterday, I had a completely different experience with the movie. I love it very much. Yeah, and that, that's the other thing, too. I mean, I, I do agree with you there that I, I kind of wish that it was a bit more clarified that that was not the witch. It was just some other kind of supernatural uh, horror element to it. But that, that's the thing I really love about uh, the Blair Witch movies, and especially and, and particularly Blair Witch, because it's called the Blair Witch, but and you fi- and you think you have an understanding of what a witch is or like what elements pertain to that, but it's almost like it's uh, a misdirect, you know, like the whole thing around the Blair Witch, it's, it's not a witch. It's like something so much worse. Like it's some yeah. kind of cosmic un, uh, horror. Mm-hmm. Like it's, 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 uh, it's like, uh, you know, like the non-Euclidean timeline, you know, it's like time moves differently in those woods and they end up in kind of a loop and like, uh, the, the woods seem to shift around or, you know, it's just, there's so much to it. It's like, you know, it's, it's so much scarier because it's not just a witch. It's, you know, there's something far more terrifying going out there in, in the Black Hills. Definitely. And, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it's funny, though, because, you know, it's it's not the witch. But when I saw it, I thought it was because I collected the McFarland toys when I was, you know, in my early 20s. And mm-hmm. the, the way that that creature is depicted looks very similar to, like, I've, I think it's one of the McFarland toys. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, they just they used that little bit of mythos that was created after the fact and you know well, could it could been Kedward? That's what I was thinking because you know the, the thing is is that the the whatever's going on out there may not even stem with Ellie Kedward, you know, it's it may just it like it, and uh I felt like that was kind of the connection between Ellie Kedward and um uh, the uh, the other girl, uh, I think Ashley. Uh, you know, she gets that thing in her leg, and right. like it's is like the parasite. And listening to the commentary, they're saying it wasn't like a bug; it was uh, like a living root or something. So I, I was thinking, you know, like maybe that's that's a uh, maybe that's a connection there. Like she was gonna she was gonna turn into one of those things. And Sarah, I'm sorry, you were saying about the McFarland toys. Could you? Yeah, there were there were a couple McFarland toys that they they did, and I'm not entirely sure when they did. I bought the I bought one of them at Horror Find, which was in 2004, maybe. So it was early 2000s that they made these toys. It may have been just after Book of Shadows, but mm-hmm. it looks like kind of like a forest monster, kind of like mm-hmm. the creature in the end of Blair Witch. So when I saw it, I was just, you know, I was like, oh, hey, that's cool. They just used they just used the the design of the McFarlane toy and they brought it, you know, into the movies. So mm-hmm. 
I, I had no problem with it thinking it was the witch. And, now, isn't know, it just and it, if <laughs> if I remember correct, I know I know Barrett has said it's not the Blair Witch, and he came out and said that on the commentary and the um, interviews post release of the movie. And as much as I would like to take him at his word, I wonder if there is some maybe revisionist history or maybe a little bit of like regret for doing that. And then you can go back and say it's not because there's a piece of dialogue in the movie where Sarah, you had mentioned here is some of the new mythos that's added. There's the new mythos that's added is when the, when the townsfolk of Blair went back and saw that Ellie Kettered was hung, but not dead. They then hung heavy boulders or rocks from her limbs in order to quicken her death, basically. Much like in ancient Rome, you would break the ribs or the legs of someone being crucified if you wanted to hasten their death. This was done in order to hasten, make her suffering greater, but also kill her. And the mm-hmm. creature that you see briefly in the forest and in that um, cramped corridor is has these elongated arms and legs. And her hands don't even look like hands. They look like they're almost angular. Um, so I had taken that, oh, it has to be the witch. Like her limbs are stretched out at well, this that, point. And she does not look also, human. Uh, so that's why there's, – There's also that dialogue in the film where they're kind of arguing about the details. You know, whether it's the basement or the attic and that kind of stuff. But yes. with with that being said, I mean that could apply to any of the mythology that we've already known walking into this movie. You know how much how much of it is like hearsay? How much of it is kind of the telephone effect where mm-hmm. you know one person tells this person? You know, for all we know, that could have happened to someone else too. You know what I mean? But that's a yeah. very specific moment that's of the true. film or beat of the film attributed to. And to your point, and I I agree wholeheartedly with what you were saying, Jacob. Like one of the things I think I put in my review of this movie, what what I like most about what Barrett and Wingard do is they take the idea of the supernatural witch and they blow it up to the actual forest. The Black Hills are very much like a space like the Bermuda Triangle. Where, like you said, time doesn't move in a linear fashion, where there are all sorts of paranormal comings and goings, where there might even be alien activity. And that, to me, like now takes this very rich mythology, completely blows it up and gives anybody this ability to work in a really fertile sandbox at that point. And I remember walking out of the movie thinking, like, I really want to see what they do next uh, and where they expand this. I think that the one of my favorite bits of the movie is when I think it's the character of, is it, uh, oh, God, I want to say it's Lloyd, and it's not Lloyd. Lane? It's the creepy confederate. Lane, Lane thank Lane. you. Yeah. When, when Lane is like, how long has it been since I've seen you? And like, yeah, it's been a few hours. He's like, we've been gone for five days. Like, that blew my mind. I really go, oh, that's creepy. Well, it takes that kind of very intimate uh, thing of the first film, and it takes everything that we think about that first film, how it's very specifically the witch going after Heather, Josh, and, and Mike. And what it does is it takes that and adds such a huge, fantastical world around that that I think it even builds on the first film 
it complements it in a way of setting something up in the first film and having not even not an explanation for it in, in Blair Witch, but gives you like such a huge world around that, that, I mean, I would watching it last night. I was the same way, like just wishing that the film had done better because I would have loved to see a continuation of, of the 2016 film. Yeah. And it's, and it is interesting how it connects with the first one because you know, because there is definitely a lot of ambiguity in the fir- in in the first movie, but just the one thing, and they even talk about it in Blair Witch, that you know, kind of sets it firmly in the realm of the supernatural, is that you know, Rustin Parr's house, because because historically it was burned down after he was hung, but mm-hmm. they still find it in the mm-hmm. first movie, and then they find it again, mm-hmm. uh, being you know such a central plot point in the sec- in Blair Witch. You yeah, know, it's just because that's a thing. Like the, it's not it, you know the the forest itself seems to shift through time and space, and wherever that house exists, you know, it isn't you know in in the normal plane of existence. Mm-hmm. Well, like that whole section of the forest seems to be like that. You even see that in Book of Shadows, like when they're recording the videos and the the huge tree that's in the the par ruins is a like tiny like little sapling when they're recording and then when they wake up, it's still big. Like, so mm-hmm. like they, they, they mess with time quite a bit through the whole series. And then like, even in this, mm-hmm. the end of the movie is basically the tape that they're watching in the beginning. Yeah. It's so a, it's a there's, so there's a huge, there's a huge part uh, that time plays in this that they haven't really even explained out which mm-hmm. is interesting. Like there's, there's no mythos, you know, they don't, they don't explain it at all other than things happen. If you spend the night in the forest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, the interesting, it up. Okay. Oh, I was going to say the, the interesting thing too, in that regard, especially with the Rustin Parr house is that, you know, it's like how the footage keeps on being found. Cause, uh, this is in curse of the Blair, Witch. you know, that they say that they say they found, uh, the Blair, Witch project footage, buried beneath the house but like not you know in in like a hole or anything it was almost like it was in the foundation like it was undisturbed and like they had an expert in in the documentary say you know like it is beyond like something an expert hoax uh, hoax person could do it's it's almost like it was there for years and uh Mm -hmm. it's the same thing with uh the found footage because they talked to lane and he says he found it like in a tree stump while he was walking in the woods so it's like it's almost like the woods or whatever supernatural forces out there wants the footage to be found uh, and, you know, wants uh, wants to, uh, uh, you know, people to watch. Do you think that it, it's if with that train of thought, I mean, do you think it's uh, singles out who they want to find it? I mean, is there a reason that James uh, Heather's brother is the one that kind of comes back basically for it? I mean, it's possible because you know his whole quest is to find Heather, and there's the, and there's such a huge connection there, and it and uh, for at the movie it seems like uh, Lane is just kind of a pawn for whatever supernatural forces are at work, so it probably is a factor. Yeah, I like when I watched it the, for the first time. I remember being really bummed. It didn't bother me a second time as much, but the first time I was really bothered how they didn't utilize uh, the Heather character. 
Like I, th- I thought, like I, I know Heather doesn't really act anymore, and uh, I know firsthand she doesn't like talking about the movie anymore. But uh, <laughs> like, I, how cool would it have been of like if they found Heather kind of stuck in that loop at the end? You know what I mean? Like, or yeah. like basically the end of the first film in a loop at the end of this one. Like, as a fan of the first film, like, man, that would have been great to see. Yeah. So what are our thoughts on the woman that we see very briefly in a couple frames when Peter first enters the home and he's running? He follows a woman into her room and it's this dirty, grimy oh, – sorry, James first um, enters the home. He enters a room, follows a woman and enters this room where you get two – blink and you miss it moments of like a young woman in like a stocking cap who's really dirty and grimy. My impression was that was Heather. No, I I think it is Heather Donahue, the actress, but yeah, I think it is too. Uh, definitely. And even at the end where James apologizes to his girlfriend before, you know, shit hits the fan. I feel like maybe Heather is caught up in that evil now too. You know, I, I feel like maybe that's what is motivating James into there. I, I I think maybe, I mean, it's just my theory, but I think once you're in that loop and you kind of not so much die, but get taken over for it, I think you're kind of in on the plan as well. I very much, I definitely think that was Heather. I agree. I, th- I think that was actually Heather and she may have just been kind of phased, phased out, like not exactly on the same uh, wavelength or dimensional length as uh, James was at the time, but she was definitely used as bait by whatever was going on in there. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. That's and exciting, also, right? right? I said that's exciting. I mean, just like as a yeah. fan of the first film, like there. I mean, and like I almost want to kick my own ass for not loving this movie the first time around because, like, <laughs> I was watching it last night and I was I was telling my wife. As she was falling asleep next to me, I was just like, how did I not love this movie? Like the the just the scope of it and how just much of a, a greater mythology we get. Like, I want to see more. And I think it's a tragedy. You know, I, I usually films that didn't do well at the box office. I'm usually I'm usually like, OK, with it, like, OK, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. This is one movie that I think it is a tragedy and horror fans should kick their own asses for not seeing this movie <laughs> because the just oh man the potential that we fans could have gotten with a follow up to this movie could have been huge i mean who's to say that they couldn't have talked heather or josh or mike you know couldn't couldn't have talked mike out of like not being a counselor these days come back to that they could they could have talked josh into not doing like another if i stay and come back to do another Blair Witch movie. Like the possibilities would have been endless. So, so let's talk a little bit about why that might be and the structure of the movie itself. Um, one of the things I appreciate appreciate about this movie is Barrett and Wingard, I think, approach the material from a place of respect. Jerry, you and I spent a lot of the time and Sarah, our guest last week, really could have used you uh, to back him up. I feel That's kind of bad. Oh, um, I offered we're to say not it. fans. <laughs> I know. Um, I am just not a fan of Book of Shadows. And I think where <laughs> Berlinger was 
disdainful of the Blair Witch Project, and he took it not as a personal but maybe a professional affront, um, saying like he did not. He's on record to say he didn't appreciate how it made documentaries look. Even though I'd argue the Blair Witch Project is not meant to be a documentary, it's true random found footage. Barrett and Wingard obviously have a lot of reference reverence for the Blair Witch Project. I would say almost too much so, because this movie feels like the Blair Witch Project if you had fed it creatine and pixie sticks. <laughs> uh, it's a more muscular, pumped-up version of that movie. Um, it parallels the structure of that movie almost to a fault, where except now you're going more for like a theme park ride as opposed to like a slow burn. You're getting something that almost from the get-go is going to move, 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 and never really give you time to catch your breath. And I wonder if there's almost too much reverence in the aping of the structure of the first movie. Do you think it it moves too fast as far as things happening in this one? Because that's that's one thing I I noticed when I revisited it. It's like, wow, there's a lot of stuff already happening. Like, whereas the first film... It took you, you know, you got invested in the characters before stuff started happening. Well, yeah, and I think in the first movie, wasn't it? They were there for like two nights or something before things started happening, wasn't it? Or they, they yeah. the first night, nothing really happened. But in this, in Blair Witch, it was like first night, sticks are cracking, trees yeah. are falling over. They they that, got right yeah. into it. That ends. They're only of, in the woods for two nights in the Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. In this okay. movie, it's it takes place over two nights as opposed to seven or eight nights in the Blair. So you are spot on. Like from night one, things are bad in the new movie. I think that whereas a lot of complaints about the original, people said that they didn't like the characters. Uh, They hated Heather. They thought they were like, they thought she was an asshole. They thought the guys were mean to her and stuff. But as, as a fan and as a viewer, I think everyone's reactions in the first film are genuine. I would not have my shit together if that happened to me. And one of the small things that I, that bothers me about this new movie is especially the character of Peter. He is an asshole from the first time he's on screen until Hmm. he leaves the film. He's, he's very Hmm. antagonistic. He's very antagonistic towards everybody. Uh, I mean, like he's almost like picking on, Lane and Talia, the way that a lot of people kind of thought that Heather was doing to the guys in the first film. Okay. But well, is that because, I, like, you're not um, supposed to trust Lane and Talia? Like, I feel like they build that up that you're not supposed to, like, they're telling the audience you're not supposed to trust these oh, guys. Oh, no, no, I agree with you 100%. I just think, like, mm. Peter, he relishes, he gets uh, satisfaction out of, like, making fun of these people. It, I think that's more, like, what, what I mean, like from the beginning, you don't trust Lane and Talia. You think they're up to something and it's slowly revealed that, yeah, they're definitely like full of shit. But like there's there's scenes there's scenes where Lane and Talia are kind of trying to explain everything. And Peter's just kind of like laughing, poking at them, making fun of them. And it, it's hard for me as a viewer to care or latch on to characters who are just very antagonistic towards each other like that, where I feel like James and Lisa and I think Talia and Lane are full of shit. Yeah, but I also think that that their selfish motives for bringing people out there was to solve something in themselves. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they went about it the wrong way, but it was also coming from a genuine place for them. Same with James and Lisa. 
Whereas Peter, once he gets there, he almost starts getting a satisfaction out of kind of antagonizing everyone. Yeah, I feel like that uh, you got you got a point that just the antagonist between uh, Peter and Wayne and Talia just felt a little forced, a little artificial, um, as opposed to uh, you know in the first movie where it was basically organic. You know, they it, a, lot, a lot of it was improvised. Like, wasn't it like in the first movie they uh, purposely let them get agitated or something by like not, like having them have little supplies and oh, stuff and little sleep. Yep. Like on our, on our Eduardo Sanchez episode, he goes into detail about basically the first day, I believe if I remember correctly, that Josh and Mike had Eduardo come to set to tell them, Hey, Heather's kind of being really mean to us. If this happened in real life, we would leave. We want to help her with this documentary. Yeah. And they had to ask, they had to ask her to scale it back. Hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, uh, uh and I thought it was so, interesting, though, with the characters of Lane and Talia, because I, I feel like they kind of connect to uh, the Book of Shadows stuff and that they're Blair Witch fans. You know, they, <laughs> uh, you know, they talk about, you know, living there and having the memorabilia and stuff. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the after effect of uh, the Book of Shadows w- w- to the Blair Witch Project. So they kind of stand in for that. And they just wanted to be real so bad, and they want to be so connected to it so badly. Mm-hmm. So I want to address, actually, Jerry, what you just said, and I think, Sarah, you and I might be on the same wavelength with this one. So my impression of Peter, I really like the char- I like the four core characters of this movie. I bought them as a group of friends. It's one of the things I really like. I like that James really has his act together. Um, that you can see as an EMT, he's the one that's able to keep a level head. Um, there's that moment towards the end where when Lisa is having kind of a panic attack, he's able to kind of bring her back in. Um Peter, I found to be very protective of James. And I think it's important to remember in the context of the movie, Peter has been friends with James since they were boys. Like Peter says, like, I've been in these woods. I went looking for Heather. Like he was part of the search as a young boy. So this isn't just so he takes like offense. he takes he's taking offense and looking out for his best friend. Like Lisa just wants to make a movie and he's like, I really, and I hate the club scene. I wish it was cut from the movie. (laughs) Um, It's annoying, but you know, the one thing that comes from it is like, he is looking out for his best friend. The first thing that Peter sees when he walks into Lane's home as an African American man is a giant Confederate flag in this guy's house in the South. And you see that like, oh, fuck. So already, like, look, I don't have to live that experience, you know. But, I mean, I would imagine having to be like, we didn't plan on this guy coming into the woods with us. Now I got to trap through the woods with this racist dude or assumed racist guy. So it's and bad also see, impressions. Yeah, and also when Peter gets to the woods and he's trying to build a pretty simple tent, he can't do it. Mm-hmm. So he is so out of his element here, and he's reacting to everything. That's how I read the character of Peter. Yeah, I that makes that makes sense. perfect sense, actually. I agree. Mm. Like I, and then I mean, and then you have his girlfriend gets hurt, and so you know he. It's just his world is like not, you know, going right for him in right. that trip. Mm. What do we think of the idea of not revisiting Burkittsville and the townspeople of Burkittsville 
Um, the one one comp- real issue I had is I or one thing I would like to see. I would have loved to have seen them interviewing or trying to talk to some of the actual members of like Burkittsville 20 years later in some way that suggests like, what is the, you know, what do you remember from this time period? You know, I think that would have added more context to this film. The only people we really see are Lane and Talia and they're not reliable narrators per se. Um, I would have liked to have seen this movie maybe wrestle a little bit more with that mythology and folklore. I think it would have been a great uh, opportunity to do so because it was 2016. You know, it wasn't 2000 where they were all the townspeople were kind of annoyed with it and they wanted nothing to do with Berlinger. I mean, by 2016, they were they were doing that uh, Blair Witch experience already. Right. Mm -hmm. So, like. I'm pretty sure the town was actually embracing that kind of stuff. So I feel like that is kind of a missed opportunity. I feel like it could have went on to like add a lot more to the mythology and just basically setting everything up. I agree. Go ahead. Uh, Oh, thank you. Uh, I agree. Like uh, I feel like it's kind of like what happened with, uh, with Marcus Vineyard and Jaws, you know, because at first they didn't want to have anything to do with the movie. Now you can do Jaws tours on the Island. So I feel like it, maybe a similar thing. And again, going off of book of shadows, like seeing kind of how the tourist aspect uh, sprung from it. And, and I do feel like, uh, you know, that, that was a pretty interesting element from the original movie that they were interviewing all these townspeople and locals just to kind of get their perspective. Cause you know, it's mm-hmm. like a local folk tale. So everybody knows different stories or like they have different uh, perspectives on it. So that could have helped kind of set, set things up a bit more. But on the flip side, um, you were mentioning earlier that, you know, it was a little bit too close to Blair Witch in terms of like how the story happens, where the action takes place. If they had thrown in, you know, an interview with the town, then you're getting really, really close to the Blair Witch project. And you're even getting close to Book of Shadows at that point. And so I think we don't want that one up. And so to set this apart, I feel like maybe that's why they left it out. Possibly. Do you, feel, yeah. do you feel like having at least one or two of the actors in Blair Witch be somewhat recognizable to people that are into stuff? Do you think that takes away from it? I mean, as soon as I saw Valerie Curry as Talia, I thought of, uh, you know, the following or mm-hmm. now rewatching it. The first thing I thought of like, oh, it's Dot from The Tick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it kind of like mm-hmm. takes you takes you out of it for a second, at least for me when I first watched it. Or, or were you guys able to kind of separate that stuff? I didn't watch either of those things. So for me, it was totally okay. (laughs) It didn't for me. I think at this point, um, I agree. I think that you're one of the things I like about found footage and you guys let me know, agree or disagree um, is when it's unrecognizable actors. And I don't think I was familiar, maybe Callie Hernandez, but I don't think I was familiar with anyone um, to the point of distraction, like a uh, found footage movie, I really like, but I think suffers for this reason is the movie. It's called Home Movie, uh, with I think it's Adrian Pazdar as a um, minister, and it's a killer kid movie, and it's really fucking good. But all I could think when I watched it is like, oh, it's the dude from Heroes. Um, <laughs> at the I time, had the same problem. Yeah. But it's a great found footage movie otherwise. Um, so let's talk about the scare. Okay, so let's talk about the scares of the movie. Let's, what else do we have to say about the characters? I really like this group of four overall. Uh, I, I like the core four. 
I like them. I, I just kind of wish there weren't as many characters. Sure. Uh, I, I, and it's only six. It's interesting because it's only six people in this movie. At the same time, though, I think with how uh, how much bigger in scope the Blair Witch was, maybe it's kind of warranted, though. So Sure. I'm, I'm a hypocrite. I just wish that we spent maybe more time developing them a little bit because I enjoyed spending time with them. I think there are moments when – Wingard is much more enamored of all the new toys he has to use. Like, I have here's another shot of the drone. Here's me cutting back and forth randomly on my GoPro cameras. Uh, Here's me adding more glitches overall. Like, it's shot too much like a VHS movie sometimes. Like, it feels like it feels like if you took a segment of the VHS franchise and blew it up to feature length, that's what you're getting in the feel of this overall. And I find that distracting at times where I just wanted to get more of the dynamics with the the two with the two couples overall. Although I don't think Peter and or sorry, uh James and Lisa, I don't think are necessarily a couple. I think that there is some sexual tension there, but I think that it's more of a really warm friendship and it's never distracting overall. I agree. Yeah, I think I do think that they spend a, a little too much time reminding you that this is found footage. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, more so than most found footage movies do. Yeah, I would agree. I would say with that, too, it's it's too much of that back and forth a bit at times. Like, it's almost like, yep, we get it. We know what you are. But what do we think? Let's jump in, because if the biggest criticism folks had coming out of the Blair Witch Project is nothing happens – you cannot say the same for this movie because I would mm-hmm. say the last hour of this movie is one thing after another. So what works for you guys? What were the aspects of this movie in terms of the horror movie aspects that really worked? Sarah, you had touched on the body horror in the Blair Witch. Talk to me a little bit about that. Like what you found. Okay. Uh, so that doesn't actually, what's, what's funny about that is that doesn't work for me because I am not a fan of body horror. Like okay. I am, I'm very much like, I like supernatural. I, I don't mind a good jump scare. Like I'm probably one of the few people that if you can actually get me to jump, you've done your job. And there were definitely scenes in this movie that did that. And the one scene that really, I just love is when they're all freaking out and Talia is holding the stick man. And is it Ashley? Ashley. Yeah. Ashley Mm -hmm. grabs it and snaps it. And Talia's back breaks. That scene, that scene just was like, I remember in the theater just being like, Oh crap. Like I had goose, but like it was that to me, that scene is the best scene in the whole movie. Like it, it did it. The, the, just the chaos and everything. And then they used a little bit of like, there was like a nod to the descent. I feel like when the, I forget her name is going through the tunnels under the house and I, that I'm claustrophobic. So that for me, mm-hmm. just like, I was like, Oh gosh, I'm, I may throw up. Cause this is too tight, too tight. I can't do this, but it was that it's still probably one of the more effective, like, you know, uncomfortable moments of the movie for me. Yeah. I would I, agree. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, like when I saw it in theaters, like the whole theater erupted, uh, when, the when uh, Talia's back broke uh, from the stick, just and I feel like that was the uh, you know the 
like the climax, like that's when things really went hard. And, and, and it was interesting too, because, uh, you know, it's like that whole thing, uh, Tali's freaking out because that stick had her hair in it. Like somehow mm-hmm. whatever was out there, got her hair and used it in one of the, uh, Blair Witch uh, bundle sticks. And like that almost turned it into a voodoo doll. And so when it, so when it's back broke, she broke. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's a freaky moment. That is one of the freakier moments. And like you said, like everything is so turned up to eleven in this movie. Like it's not just stick figures. You have giant stick figures that are now voodoo dolls, and like they can kill people if you break them. Um, in the first movie, you have that very subtle sound of the rocks, what sounds like rocks banging in the distance. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I think here it's reinterpreted to be the sounds of trees crashing. And it sounds like a, a whole forest is crashing in and around the audience when you watch this movie. Like it is just like the audio mix is just is really blown up to make you feel like you're in the middle of this. Well, it feels uh, the jump in as far as like what is heard and what is seen. It feels like a jump. And I mean, this in a complimentary way, but uh, alien to aliens. Mm-hmm. You know, it very much feels like it, it took this very private, soft, kind of like almost quiet at times first film and just injected steroids into it. <laughs> and usually usually I can't stand when a series does that. I, it bothers me tremendously that like a different uh, tone is used in a sequel. But I feel like it works just 100 percent with this one. Uh, I, I want to see. Like I'm so impressed with it after revisiting. Like I want to see another film with that scope, you know, with that that much. And you know, speaking on the characters thing really quickly, I know that initially Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard wanted a more intimate movie with just three or four characters, but the studio kind of is like, you know what, we need more characters for more scares. And with that being said, even though I said I wish there were uh, a smaller amount of characters, I do think they did a ex- like just exceptional job. With mm-hmm. just giving us some of the greatest like sequences of that year, uh, you know the drone death. As much as I want to see more drone, I feel like that death scene is so cool because mm-hmm. like it 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 just it makes me extremely uncomfortable seeing her climb this tree, knowing there's there's no way this is going to end up well. I like mm. you can feel it, and there's a sense of dread in that scene, and that's one thing that I think uh, 2016's Blair Witch does well it gets that dread under your skin and it's like a pressure cooker. And once that last half hour kicks in, I mean, it's, it's just nonstop and it's, it's impossible not to have a panic attack watching that film. Yeah. And, and I really, I really do like the drone scene just because also like her leg is injured. So like, she's really at risk. And then it Mm -hmm. goes into the body horror element where she pulls that thing from her wound Mm-hmm. Which you know looks, which looks like a bug, but you know, going into the special features and uh, explanations from Simon Barrett, it's like it's a living tree root. Like you know, right. it's like the, the woods are literally, you know, like invading her body. Mm-hmm. Well, there there is that scene, and I don't know if maybe I'm just sadistic, but I found it kind of like a tad bit of comic relief, where she's asking basically if it's that bad, and the guy's just like, no. <laughs> No, yeah, and she's, and he's, 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 he's look on his face like <laughs> we gonna, see the close up of her foot, and we're like, "Shit, yeah. dude, cut that off!" <laughs> but he couldn't get yeah. out of that tent fast enough. Like you see the look yeah. on his face, and he's like, "Nope, this is too much, too no, much right yeah. now." Peace. Sarah, you had mentioned earlier uh, Rustin Parr's 
nod, the nod to Rustin Parr in Book of Shadows. I saw that um, with Lane's character at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like his hair has gone out a bit more, and his like he's gone from clean shaven to like twelve o'clock shadow to just having a mustache to where he looks resembles Rustin Parr to a great degree before he's shivved in the back. So little nods like that, almost like to your point, Jacob, of time repeating itself. Um, you're seeing like these characters with very specific roles to play. Well, he goes from looking like he shops at Spencer's Gifts at the beginning <laughs> to at the end looking like the cigarette man in season three of Twin Peaks. Like it's such a shift that like I love it. It's it's so cool. Yeah. No, I dug, I dug that too, especially cuz like uh there there is the folklore about like the witch having servants or like getting into people's heads to make them do what she wants. And so that's that's Lane like yeah, you know, she like he's under her under the witch's spell, so to speak. And that's why he attacks uh he he attacks Lisa and like throws her down into that crawl space and keeps on talking about, uh, like I think it was something like, you know, just, uh, having to, uh, having to do what she says and all that. And th- that, that was pretty creepy because it does add a human horror element to it. And that Lisa has to actually stab him to death in order to escape. You know, it kind of mm-hmm. amps, it kind of amps up the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of, kind of more gritty horror. And that whole set, the blowing up the Rustin Parr houses and seeing so much more of it, and it very much feels like a – guys, I've used this analogy a lot when describing this movie today. The Blair Witch feels like a fun park ride, and <laughs> the Rustin Parr home – very much feels like you said you're going to Universal Horror later tonight, Jacob. Yep. It feels like something that you would go through at Universal Park for like one of their haunted attractions. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that because I was watching the special features and uh, uh, Simon Baron and Adam Wingard, we've been talking about that. They said they wanted to go for kind of like a haunted hayride type of feeling yeah. for their story. You know, just uh, like mm-hmm. you're in, you're in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. And I and I really got that too because like for me the uh, scariest element was that stick figure entity. Like when you first see it, you know it's like Lisa's outside the house, you know, just in the rain and kind of looking around, and then off in the distance you see that thing, that uh, entity, just kind of looking at her through the woods and kind of craning around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and you know, and I remember distinctly, like uh, the entire audience, like jumped out of our seats, uh, just you know, like uh, seeing that thing just kind of pop up in, in in the brush, and then you know, mm-hmm. she hightails it out there, and yeah, just and the way that the way they presented that creature. It just uh, was very effective and unsettling because, you know, you get you just get glimpses of it or it'd be peering out of a tree or around a corner through a door. So it's like it it really kept you on your toes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. And just ha- how it connects, because it's almost like and it does connect a bit to the first movie because like, you know, because it does resemble the Blair Witch figure, you know, like the, uh, the, you know, the pose and like the long limbs, which, uh, funnily enough, like I, I remember reading like 
you know, because they, you know, with Blair Witch Project, they had a few ideas for different endings. And I think one of them was a life-size, like, moving stick figure that would attack Heather. Mm-hmm. So I, so it, I feel like they did draw a little bit of inspiration from that. But, you know, it did. <laughs> I know, Can yeah, you imagine that? that? Oh, <laughs> that stick old, figure. Yeah, the <laughs> stick figure idea. gets Heather at the end. That, that would have been nuts. There is the one with like Mike tied up in one of those kind of stick figure dolls so that would they shot it and it looked really bad. Like if you go into the yeah. supplemental features of the Blair Witch uh, DVD or Blu-ray, you can see the alternate endings and that is one of them. And you're like, oh, that looks silly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not good. No, but I really think that the, this creature was effective uh, for Blair Witch 2016 just because, especially in a theater, you know, especially in a mm-hmm. theater environment, it really kept it really kept you on the edge of your seat, mm-hmm. and just yeah, and it it the design was really freaky, and mm-hmm. they kept it um, out of sight, and you know, just sparsely enough that I feel like it was it was effective, and uh, you know, it just really amped up the chase, um, like that. Yeah, the creature. W- Real, it just really freaked me out. Did you ever, anyone here ever find themselves maybe overwhelmed by the last 10 to 15 minutes of this movie? Because I, I felt like at times there was so much going on in terms of like quick cuts and the sound mix that it became difficult to really focus on. I'm like, I'm not quite sure what's happening right now. And it just would have uh, to be yeah, stimuli to the point of distraction. Yeah. Uh, I suffer faint from anxiety in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> last night was intense watching that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is so much going on that at times I feel like maybe they could have scaled back just as far as the edit a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because like it was just – you're on the edge of your seat, but at the same time, you also want to know kind of at least a little bit of what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean it, it's a very fast-paced movie. There was one point where I was telling my wife, I was I was asking her, I'm like, okay, did I accidentally fall on the controller and it's like fast-forwarding? Yes. Or are, is it really cutting this like quickly? And she's like, there's, no, I just that's how the movie is. There's too much of that glitching, mm-hmm. that digital glitching. Wingard is way too in love with that as an effect, and it's not nearly as effective as he thinks it is. It's annoying. It, it takes me right out at that point. You should fight him. <laughs> <laughs> Settle it in the ring. Why? Why? Uh, but uh, no, I, I agree. At times, it, it did feel like a little bit too much, too fast. But uh, overall, though, I, I do like the third act, and especially those last ten minutes. Like the mm-hmm. one thing that, that really stuck with me that I wanted to bring up was uh, that part where they're in the attic. And, you know, it's night, but then there's this a huge white light yeah. that, uh, go, yes. that scans through the building and it's all, and it like uh, goes through the cracks in the walls. And, you know, and it just makes you wonder because like, the, you know, that is just out of nowhere. Like, is, is it the mm-hmm. time thing? Is it uh, some uh, some supernatural entity? Is it a UFO? You know, it's like there you know, there's just so many possibilities. I know that there is the the talk of maybe a UFO kind of thing, but me, I'm not frightened by aliens whatsoever. So I have to almost condition myself to say that is definitely not what it is because like that, <laughs> I think that weakens it for me. Like I want to be scared, and I'm like, okay, it's a witch. 
It's something evil. No, it's not fucking E.T. Get that out of here. <laughs> I, I, I totally read it as being like the time shift because there is a point when the lights are coming through the slats in the walls where it mm-hmm. kind of looks like time is either rewinding or fast forwarding back Ooh. to the dark for a minute. And so I just assume that it's like whatever this time nexus, time vortex, witchy stuff going on. Like I just kind of like that was how I read it. Mm-hmm. One of the things, yeah, I would say I read it as Alien, and I think that goes back to um, my reading of the movie is that the Burkittsville uh, and the Black Hills Forest, which, by the way, I just ordered from Fright Rags a Visit the Black Hills Forest t-shirt, which yeah. I hope they ship in a timely manner. Um, uh, so Fright Rags, sponsor us. Give us some money. <laughs> um, so... We, um, I, I really saw that as like, I, I live in a town called Bridgewater. Jacob, you're from the Boston area. Am I, yeah. or you went to Emory? Okay. So are yeah. you familiar with the Bridgewater Triangle? I am. I, I am indeed. So I live in it. Um, yeah, like we could slug. actually see, we could yeah. see Bigfoot in our backyard. Like I live five minutes away from a stretch of road where there's supposedly a red haired ghost that will run alongside your car and hop in every now and again. Um, there's some creepy shit. So I read it as like being one of those areas and maybe aliens being a part of it. And Sarah and Jerry right now looking at the video are like, what the fuck are you talking no, about? No, I, was thinking, I was thinking you guys have exciting things going on where you live. Like I, just have people on meth around my neighborhood <laughs> well we have I that just, too i just yeah. get coyotes and javelinas <laughs> nice and i i live in a decent residential neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> okay so um last thing i, I want to say on the characters and the scares overall is i like that james a couple points in the movie he's kind of like it even says when he's in the house and after he sees Heather for a second or two was like, fuck this, I'm out. Like, it's not (laughs) like Mike in the first movie who's completely snapped and gone around the bend and is, like, just running towards death. Like, James obviously has a purpose. He wants to find his sister. But there's two points in the movie, like, after the first night when he's like, you know what? We found some stuff. Let's pack our stuff up. Let's take it to people that are better handled. We're not the right people. And now they're trapped. Now, unfortunately, they're trapped. But he makes a smart decision. And then at one point, he's in the house. He's like, fuck this, and tries to get out. But he simply yeah. can't get out. And I love I, – I really like that. That when he, when he said that at the end, I started to crack up. Like I really, really enjoyed that bit of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's like we discussed. You know, like maybe it was a trap by the supernatural forces in, in the forest to, in, to begin with. Like that's – like it wanted James and his friends, so that's how it kind of hooked him into to the uh, to going to the house. And yeah. no, just even, to, and to, uh, the of, in the making of, uh, I think Wingard and Barrett kind of make the statement that once they crossed a certain part mm-hmm. in the in the like the water, once they cross that, there's no way they're getting out. Right. It's a supernatural like roach motel. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and. And and also just taking things a step back, I, in some ways though, I am kind of glad that there is a level of ambiguity to to things, especially toward the end. You know, just kind because mm-hmm. you know that's the thing. Like it, a lot of this is open to interpretation, and uh, you know, it's not 
and, and as and like I'm saying, you know, it's uh, I love that the movie is such a misdirect because when you think a witch, you know, you think uh, you know a cackling crone with a cauldron and like some spells and stuff, mm-hmm. but whatever's going on in the Black Hills is so beyond just like magic or uh, witchery or whatever. It's like something beyond human uh, perception, and that's what makes it so terrifying. And yeah, yeah. it's like I always go back to that line from. Uh, Big Trouble Little China, when Lo Pan tells Jack Burton, you are not born into this world to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, mm-hmm. it's that, that's a thing. Like, we maybe we're not meant to know. Yeah, it's, well, it's an evil. It's, it's not one, I think, one particular thing. Well, and mm-hmm. I think, like, you know, going back to Book of Shadows, Erica mentions that Ellie Kedward is, like, a child of nature, and she wasn't really mm-hmm. bad. So I think, like, once she was killed, because she was killed in the forest as a child of nature, one would think that like, maybe she's, you know, kind of become one with nature. And so mm-hmm. kind of controls the forest. And like, I always kind of just like, that's like, maybe that's just my own head cannon, but like, I feel yeah. like Ellie Kedward is kind of part of the forest as like this supernatural entity, not just, Oh, mm-hmm. she's just a witch. Like, it's more than that, which is why you get like the the vine, the moving vine in the girl's leg, the the ability of the tree in the Rustin Par ruins to be full grown and then a sapling and go mm. back and forth and all of and then the house hiding in the forest and them not being able to get out of the forest is all her control of the forest. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And then you have to wonder if it's even, you know, like or how it ties with her because uh you know, just something that gets mentioned from time to time is that, you know, it's like the supernatural elements in the forest didn't just begin with Ellie Kedward. Like, right. uh, I think in the first movie, uh, Heather recounts how, like, uh, Native American tribes stayed away from the woods right. because they considered them cursed. So, yeah, so you have to wonder if, you know, yeah. whatever's going on out there has been going on for a long, long time, like far it's before. That, it's that damn pet cemetery, guys. And in yeah. this movie, in this movie now, it's said many times, like, the locals stay out. Like, even Lane and Talia, who really, they are super interested in the Blair Witch, like, we, we don't come in here. Like, we would never come in here alone. Like, what, are you crazy? You know, like, the locals now just have learned to avoid the forest at this point. And I think that's a really fascinating bit that I would love to have seen explored further. All right. So now let's talk about the legacy of the movie overall. Yeah. Guys, how would this movie have been received? If it was if it was if it stuck to its original title of the woods. How would we look back on this movie? I think it would have been looked at like a knockoff of the Blair Witch Project. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, uh, because that was the thing when when it when they first dropped the trailer, people's like, "Oh, this is just like the Blair Witch Project." So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean. Uh, I think that where they might have went wrong was in trying to recapture some of that viral marketing genius of the first film, mm-hmm. keeping it very secretive. You know what I mean? Like it seems yeah. like overnight, overnight people are like, "Oh, this is a Blair Witch movie," almost to the point where people couldn't get excited because it happened so mm-hmm. quickly. Uh, because they didn't and, know that a Blair Witch movie was coming out, like it was too quick, not enough turnaround. They, they, Okay, they went into that screening at Comic-Con with posters of The Woods. They yeah. walked out of that screening with the Blair Witch posters. Like, it was a, it was an immediate thing. And I feel like there wasn't enough time for that excitement to percolate. I mean, even the, like, 
even box office. Blair Witch 2016 should have been a success. It cost barely $5 million to make. It ended up making a good forty-five worldwide. Mm-hmm. That's nine times its budget. Where it went wrong is over $20 million spent on marketing. Like, oh, wow. you know what I mean? You wow. go from a $5 million production to a $25 million production because of marketing. Whereas right. the original the original film, they had a website and that got excited that got us excited. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I feel like yeah. they spent so much time and money trying to recapture that lightning in a bottle that it, it that's what made the movie suffer. I don't think it was the box office. I think it was marketing. Right. Probably. I think it's a movie that I, I think the one of the ultimate legacies of the Blair Witch Project, the original movie, is because it of the way it was structured, but also because of the time it was released and what they were able to capture, what they were able to take advantage of, and also the way our attention span works in 2019 versus 2009. Uh, no, sorry, it's as opposed to 1999, is you don't. Have, think movies now are, are either a hit once they're released, it's all about those first three days, or it's a failure. Well, um, and in, in 99, what did we have to choose from other than the Blair Witch Project? I mean, uh, the, the Sixth Ma- Sense, Stir of Echoes. The Matrix. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, as oh, far in as terms as of horror, right. Or right. specifically. I uh, mean, you had that, you had maybe two or three decent movies. 2016, I mean, audiences had Don't Breathe. Uh, the Purge election year, uh, The Shallows, Lights Out, The Conjuring 2. There was so much for people to watch that it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, and there's a third Blair Witch movie when the second one was pretty awful. Like, I can understand why people didn't show up. They had been burned already. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But people mm-hmm. did show up. I mean, f- in most times, if we see a $5 million movie that makes $45 million worldwide, the article the next month is going to be, Talks oh, no. are already in talk to bring them back for a sequel. Like no, that's I the agree. I agree. Instead, I just mean as far as showing up with like Don't mm-hmm. Breathe pulled in big mm-hmm. numbers. You know what I mean? The Conjuring 2, big numbers. Right. You know, uh, in my opinion, Blair Witch is a success. I mean, if you take the marketing out, that's like I said, nine times its budget. That's a success in my eyes. But big right. studios releasing these almost tentpole level horror films at this time. I mean, the Conjuring universe that's basically the horror MCU at this point. You know what I mean? Right. Those are yeah. huge numbers to where like right. Blair Witch, it's a success, but not in terms of like what studios mm-hmm. expect. Right. And now for the second time, well, the, the book of shadows killed the franchise dead for 15 years, like mm-hmm. just killed any interest in dead. And there's still interest in reviving the Blair Witch as something like, you know, when we talked to Eduardo, he's like, yeah, I just got off the phone with Lionsgate to talk about, you know, what they want to do for a TV series, which he would not tell us what they want. He almost did. Do you remember that? He's like, yeah, yeah. it's definitely concrete happenings. And you're like, okay, well tell us. He's like, uh, (laughs) it wasn't like Tom (laughs) McLaughlin who just like when Tom, um, when Tom just like dropped, oh yeah, I have a new Friday the Thirteenth script waiting to go. We're like, what? Wait, what's that? Um, yeah, based on what Eduardo, Eduardo says, it sounds like the Blair Witch TV right. show is happening, but we have no information. No, none whatsoever. Um, but most, you know. So I think the other thing is like there was these high expectations from the studio where it's going to make twenty million in its first weekend. And it made half of that. And if you ever want to feel really bad, listener, if you ever want to feel very sorry for two people, get the director's commentary for The Blair Witch. 
um, where they were like, we were going to tell you a lot about the mythology and what we came up with, but because none of you motherfuckers actually went to see the movie, we're just going to sit here and feel bad for ourselves for two hours. And it is like, it's very sad to listen to. It's like, you guys all went to go see Sully instead. Um, and it was like, like, I I really, wa- you, you almost wanted to give them the number to like, a crisis line because they just what, like I'm worried for the like, uh, it's almost like Rob Zombie's commentary for Lords of Salem he's just like yeah I kind of wanted to do this but I couldn't do this so I just did this mm-hmm. and that's like basically the whole commentary he's like him saying that kind of stuff well you know I wanted to shoot here but that didn't work so I you know I guess and it's just like, like one thing, the one thing I'll take them to task for is like if you're listening to the commentary of that like guys like the people that are putting that in the, want to know about more about your movie, like gear the commentary for those people. Uh, don't be the asshole that's like, well, not enough people like my band, so therefore I'm not going to play hard. Like, no, play for the people in the room. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, some of the best albums or some of the best movies are ones that didn't catch on at first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if Carpenter was that bored in every commentary because the movie didn't do well initially, I mean, shit. You know what I mean? Like, what Carpenter movie other than Halloween did do like amazingly well? You know, right out of the gate, right? You know, but his his yeah. comments are still really fun. I mean, the mm-hmm. I think it's Big Trouble in Little China, or it could be the thing what he does Kurt Russell, and they're both yeah. uh, basically drinking beer the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Like, those are great. Like, I understand it's a disappointment for your movie not to do as well. But with that being said, if someone has taken the time to listen to the commentary for Blair Witch. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, just do your best. I feel like Lionsgate should re-release that on Blu-ray and use this episode as a director's commentary. <laughs> Dude. Lionsgate. Can, uh, I, can we just get a Blu-ray of Book of Shadows already? <laughs> I have no. been lobbying. I've been lobbying for a box set because there's this – it's obviously not a real thing. But for the last 10 years, I have bugged Screen Factory on so many titles that eventually got released – so it's like an ongoing joke. Like, Jerry, can you please bother them about this? I've been trying to get a Blair Witch box set going for a while, and I shit you not. If there is one, we need to be on those special features. There's, there is a mm. mini, like, I would say box set that has the Blair Witch Project and Blair Witch. Yeah. I'm like, wait. That's, the right, that's the right way to go. No. no, but I want I want an extensive. I want like Justin Beam doing the special features. Bring Heather Buckley to do the special features. I want something mm. as extensive as uh, the upcoming Big Trouble in Little China or the Thing re- like release. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that level. Like there's yeah, so I much. Want like edition. I want all the mini docs. I want some of the comics. I want everything in this box set. The video yeah, would, games, it, dude. It would sell so well. What Jinx would buy Jason Jenkins would buy five copies just for Book of Shadows. Bless what is, his heart. I mean, like, you know, we say it would sell really well, but then, you know, like whenever there's like a follow-up for this series, it's like gone and forgotten. So it's almost like you know, it's all it's it's I don't know if this movie is gonna get the Halloween treat three um treatment where like we look back a decade because i don't think our attention span is there anymore like or let's put it this way i don't think that kids who are of age when we were of age with halloween 3 are going to go back and rediscover this movie 
I think that they're going to move on to whatever the new thing is at that point, whether it's going to be this like retrospective um, after the fact appreciation for a movie that I think is much better than people who skipped out on it realize. To be honest, I think what I think what it lies in lies on is if the TV show happens, I think that is what is going to make or break the franchise from here on out. Yeah. And, um, the, the video game that just dropped recently uh, apparently has some connections to 2016. So, you know, at least the, you know, the legacy is still there and, uh, and that's the thing, you know, it's all about what happens next connects to the past. So, mm-hmm. you know, we already got the video game with some connections to Blair Witch 2016 and, uh, you know, we'll see where the TV series goes and what that's about. Mm-hmm. And if that still links with Blair Witch 2016, cause, cause that's the thing. If so long as the series moves forward, people will look back to what came before and mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, I doubt it'll get as big, you know, like uh, the Halloween three treatment or re- revivalism, but uh, you know, like I feel, I feel like it, it, that's the thing like the, uh, the anger or, or, you know, like the hate when it first came out really died down. So like, like, you know, like Jerry revisited and he liked it more than when he first saw it. Do you think that, uh, Maybe where the series has gone wrong is that with each film and the TV series from what Eduardo Sanchez said, each film, they've asked Sanchez and Myrick and Greg Hale and I think Ben Rock to an extent what they would do with the series and had them pitched up. But each time, you know, Sanchez said it on our episode with him and even Sanchez says it in the making of 2016. Each time they've asked them where they would go with it. They've laid out where they want to go with it. And Lionsgate always says, oh, you know, that's great, but we're going to go a different direction. I mean, how many times are they going to ask the creators what they should do and not listen to it? And it seems like every time that they do that, maybe it kind of fails a little bit. Maybe. I mean, it would be interesting to see them have uh, full control again. I mean, because they can do it. I mean, it's not a game changer, obviously, but Exists was fun. I mean, mm-hmm. Lovely Molly has its has its moments. If you could take the the lead, ended up being a actual murderer in real life out of it. <laughs> I mean, Wait, what? Uh, the lead in Lovely Molly, he, he he from Sons of Anarchy, he murdered like an older woman. Huh. You should see my face right now, listeners. Oh like, no, read up, dude. I had the, no idea. The story, man. Re- read up on that. The story is really interesting, interesting. and pretty okay. sad, actually. But I mean, right. Sanchez and Myrick, they're good storytellers. I love what Eduardo Sanchez did with his episodes of From Dust Till Dawn, the TV show. Uh, I mean, they're all – I mean, Sanchez's segment in VHS 2 I think is my favorite one almost, other mm-hmm. than Safe Haven, obviously. Sure. But I mean, bring those guys back to give a new life to the series that they created. Well, even if they don't – oversee everything let them let them be like showrunners let them yeah. bring in a team of talent let them bring us in the room uh let them bring in some talent and uh just, i just want to get paid look guys just got college right. college for kids stuff like that you know uh, loans bills i just i we need to get paid um but let them like over they have obviously more so than most properties have this very fertile backstory that can be explored in a lot of ways my fear with the television show is would be something like 
the CW, like what they're doing with, say, Riverdale, where it's just like like the Blair Witch is going to be super hot. You know what I mean? Like she's just going to be like super hot 15 year old. Like it's not going to be the Blair Witch, more like the Blair Bitch. Uh, uh, you know, like super fucking gassy, you know. That's what it would be overall. Like that's they need to make a, okay. They need to make a character-driven story because I've always said that if you take the Blair Witch out of it, don't do it. A, <laughs> I can't even do it with a straight face anymore. Sorry, guys. Oh, it's uh, all right. It, it's Sunday afternoon now. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. Yes. What are our final thoughts on the Blair Witch 2016? Uh, well, as we discussed, I feel like the film has a lot more merit than what it was initially taken for. Uh, per- personally, I will I will defend it, and uh, re- uh, I thought it had some really great scares and sequences, and expanded on on the mythology. And I'm hoping uh, if and when the uh, series continues uh, franchise wise, uh, that it keep that it keeps it. Uh, a part of that and um, you know, continues from there. Yeah. I mean, I think Jacob said it best. Like it really does add to the mythos of the franchise and I really hope they do more with it. I would, I would love to see, you know, even if it was like comics, they like, they recently did a pumpkin head comic, you know, it was five yeah. issue miniseries. Mm-hmm. It just adds to the story. I would love to see them do more Blair Witch comics. Like even mm-hmm. If that's the only way they can do it, just give us more. Give the fans more. There are there are fans out there. We all still hold the franchise in our hearts, and we love it. And, you know, screw the haters. <laughs> how cool would it be, uh, my closing thoughts on it, uh, how cool would it be if they did the TV show and they got some of just really great filmmakers to each give their respective spin on it? I mean... Lee Janiak, who did Honeymoon, which is one of my favorite movies of the last mm-hmm. 10 years, mm-hmm. I mean, is such a good look out of a deteriorating relationship, you know, waking up the, one day and not recognizing who you're sleeping next to. Putting that kind of dynamic, maybe a, an episode where like a couple goes into the woods, you know, having problems and they mm-hmm. have, you know, kind of like the strangers, the strangers, make it be like a relationship thing that has these outside things come in i feel like that would be a good uh angle i i think the possibilities of different really enthralling character-driven stories would be really interesting to see that's where i would love to see it go yeah i would love to see a town that has to recognize i would love to see a town that has to reckon with the legacy of the area and what it is to live in an area that is cursed um, mm-hmm. As much as I don't like Book of Shadows, the one thing I would take from that is maybe s- story arcs where characters go in and then come out irre- come out changed. Yeah, and maybe yeah. follow those changes overall, and not change by like, spending like an hour in a warehouse where nothing happens <laughs> except a guy trying to fence some stolen goods. Um, but like actual real character change. I think that could be fascinating. I do have a fear that what you would see would be like the Blair Witch, but hot and sassy. <laughs> like, that's really I what I fear. No, no, not that I'm anti hot and sassy. I mean, look at me. That's, I scream that <laughs> I'm that, I'm that target demo. Um, 
but I think wasn't that, that your nickname in high school? Actually, my nickname in high school was Polio because I had fallen arches when I tried out for soccer, and the coach who had half a thumb called me Polio, and oh, that's what kids called me for a while. Wow. Um, um, so yeah, that was fun. Um, anyway, I, I agree. I, I'm going to go eat my feelings because I just remembered. Okay. Sorry. Um, but I was going to say I agree that it, with the with the uh, TV series, I do hope they kind of go for if not an outright anthology format, you know, just kind of different stories because mm-hmm. the biggest foundation of the Blair Witch uh, Mythos is that it's all these different weird little stories connecting. Yeah. In uh, with yeah. the Black Hills, so do what love. Castle Rock is doing. Yeah, different yeah. stories set in the same area every season. Or Creep like, Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the new so, Creep Show. God damn. Yeah, yeah. So, Sarah, tell us about geeks who eat. What was so, the? Yeah, tell us about this site because this is a fascinating site. Oh gosh, you put me on the spot. That's usually my husband's. Uh, job is to give our elevator pitch, <laughs> but we, uh, we have a blog, a food blog, and we create recipes based on various pop culture things, you know, movies, comics, etc. And so we create recipes and we, we work a lot with, um, studios and PR companies to promote movies and mm-hmm. TV shows and whatnot. We, uh, have a couple recipes right now that we're working on with Disney and, you know, fortunately, Disney is our one of our biggest paying clients, which is nice. Others just are like, hey, you want a free Blu-ray? I mean, right. I mean, no. luckily, my husband's yeah. job pays the rent, so I can I can mm-hmm. do that. But, you know, we we uh, did some recipes for Shutter last year for the last drive in. Mm-hmm. Got to interview Joe Bob, you know, so we just. We're working on our cookbook still. It's still in process. Uh, Nightmares and Noms, the unofficial horror movie cookbook. That is awesome. So, you know, every day we're getting a little bit closer. <laughs> How do you determine what makes it into, like, what does something have to land on the pop culture scale for you to create? And is it a matter of, like, not only does it have to have, like, current uh, relevance but also like can we craft recipes around it or is it pretty much you can make something happen around anything i mean there are some things that are a little bit harder to do comedies are Mm -hmm. typically unless there's a food scene are pretty tough action movies same thing usually those end up with a cocktail Mm -hmm. like because you can make a cocktail out of anything everybody loves to drink so you know we uh we do Try to go a little bit more thematic than just visual. Mm-hmm. We this year we've we've done a lot more visuals like co- like recipes, but typically I like to keep it something on theme. I'll look at the regions. I'll look at you know other other things that happen in the movie. See if we can make it work that way. But it sometimes it's a challenge. Sometimes recipes come to you, and then sometimes you're just like, "What do we do?" Oh my god! If you if you have to look back at one recipe or one one event that you guys are part of that you're like this really sums up what we're all about where would you steer someone oh man i know i'm really putting you on the spot right now wow i I don't even know like (laughs) um, did you have john wick john wick dog trees i mean no i'm just kidding we we actually did cocktails for John Wick because my husband's oh, a huge John Wick fan. But we did do dog treats for Isle of Dogs. Really? Nice. 
We did. We so made cool. uh, we made little uh, onigiri dog treats. So they're like yeah. dog treats that are shaped like onigiri and awesome. actually have nori on them. My mm-hmm. dog loved them. She mm-hmm. she really enjoyed being a recipe tester for that one. And but, what is the okay? And what is the site for those that are interested? Where would they go to find? Because it's just it's a beautifully laid out. Like I'm looking at it right now, and I love the logo. And also like. I want to make these funnel cakes from it chapter two. Oh my gosh. So that recipe, fun fact, the little, the Pennywise on the napkin is made out of raspberry dessert sauce. And it took us about 10 tries, maybe even more. Like I, I threw away a lot of napkins because Mm -hmm. we had to get that and we couldn't get it right. And we were shooting this recipe last minute. It was like 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is, don't let food bloggers like tell you that everything is easy. We're, we're constantly shooting recipes at like 11 o'clock at night, yeah. last minute deadline, you know, pulling our hair out, wondering why we didn't do this earlier. Cause we right. knew we had to do it. And so, but, I, um, I loved your creep show cookies. Oh, thank you. Everyone I, I calls them meteor them shit cookies. <laughs> That's not their name, but everybody online seems to like that. And I was like, well, I work with Disney, so I can't call my cookies that. But uh, you did your logo. Um, we actually had a graphic designer do it. Uh-huh. Um, it's Amaro Creative. They, uh, they did a great job. It's actually based off of a photo that... Uh, the guy took of us at a panel that we were doing on horror movie recipes. Mm -hmm. And those shirts are really scaled down versions of our camp crystal Lake counselor shirts. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's a little tent and a tree on them because yeah. So we, we, that was the, we wore matching shirts that day and everyone's like, I love your cosplay. And we're like, Oh, cool. (laughs) Nice. So, but yeah, two geeks who eat.com is where we're at. And we're geeks who eat on pretty much all social media. So Instagram is what we're trying to build. We're like mm-hmm. just over 500 followers away from 10,000. And we, we've been trying for like a year. We're like, come on, 10,000. That's all we want. But Let's, well, we're going to help get you there. Hope we can be that last push. <laughs> so we definitely want to have you back on. So can you DM me later about other yeah. franchises? And Absolutely. we definitely want to hear more from. Is your husband a horror movie fan too? He is huge horror movie fan. Would he that come was what on saved with you? Our, that was what saved our first date. Really? <laughs> we had a very mediocre first date. He was kind of late. I wasn't really feeling it because his dating profile photo was him in front of his motorcycle. <laughs> so I totally thought he was going to be like this, like douchebag from North Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, okay, whatever. I'm bored at work. Let's talk. So yeah. we talked. Then he's late because he had to go to the gym. And then in the car, right on the way over, he's listening to a comedy station instead of talking to me. Uh-huh. I basically called him a pussy at dinner. Or I told him he would be he. I would consider him to be a pussy if he ordered something because I was just real angry and hangry at this point. Yeah. And so, on the way home, we started talking about found footage horror, and that conversation was three hours in our car. Like we sat in his car for three hours in my driveway talking about found footage horror. And the rest is history. The rest. No, we we would love to have we would love to have both of you on at some point. That would be great. 
So, Jacob, tell us about um, – you said it was Dead Time Stories, correct? Yep. So last exactly. last time you were on, we discussed iHorror. Tell us about this new – it sounds like it's like audio fiction. Yeah, it's an audio drama. It's a horror anthology kind of in the vein of uh, Tales from the Crypt, uh, mm-hmm. Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, I've written for a few episodes. It's produced with Ranker.com. Uh, been having a lot of fun with it, and uh, I get to write about uh, different themes per episode. Like, uh, I got one coming up about different boogeymen, and uh, it was funny you brought brought up the Bridgewater Triangle because I, I wanted wanted to uh, write about that. And I also had an episode all about uh, people getting their just desserts, you know, very easy comic style. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's podcast audio drama. You know, the stories are all told with uh, a host and a uh, narr- and a narrator. And this is, do they also, so they have a narrator and then, like, do they have a um, cast of, like, voice actors as well? Or is it all more like an audiobook type of, where the narrator reads everything in different voices? Um, well, it's more of a... Uh, uh, more of a like more like that audio, audio drama. Sure, like it's just one usually just one person talking. Okay, although we've got like a horror host, you know, kind of our crypt yeah. keeper type character. Got it. Got uh, it. Okay, named Deadhead and uh, and which uh, uh, if our listeners wanted to download one of the episodes you wrote, where would you where should they start? Uh, well, it's on a bunch of different formats. Uh, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, some of the some of the episodes I wrote that are uploaded now are uh, Just Desserts, Rage, Breaking, and Secrets, with more to mm-hmm. come. All right, well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us again. We hope you enjoyed our coverage of the Blair Witch series. Um, This is one of my, you know, the Blair Witch Project is obviously one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I have, you know, varying degrees of enjoyment for the other two entries, but I really like the discussions we had overall. Um, The next one is our big one. Uh, I think it's really funny, like, so far... This will be our fourth series we've covered, and I'm like a lead lead, four movies, three movies. Jerry's like, yeah, we need like – we only do entries with like ten or more in them overall. So You know what's great? We we initially talked about doing a palate cleanser in between mm -hmm. uh, Friday the 13th and Halloween, and I am so happy that the Blair Witch Project ended up being the opposite. I have had – Honestly, I love Friday the 13th with a passion. I mean, it is my second favorite franchise of all time. But with that being said, I think I've enjoyed the Blair Witch series the most out of everything right. that we've done. Uh, you know, I have such – I love it. As as a person, I, I love reevaluating things, and I love it when you come across things that you might have liked originally, but you end up loving after revisiting it. Mm-hmm. And having only seen the Blair Witch Project twice before we did our series – Rewatching it and talking to everybody, I, I think I love this series so much now more than like a lot of series. Uh, between the original, 
uh, a lot of the mini docs and 2016s. I think it's one of the most unique franchises around, and I, I I'm just so excited. I think this is, and I, I don't take this statement lightly. It's something I've given some thought to. I, I honestly think that the most important movie of the past 20 years is the Blair Witch Project, because I don't think you would see this proliferation of lower budget genre films that tell these completely unique stories without the success of the Blair Witch Project. And obviously not every micro-budget movie is going to go on to make a quarter of a billion dollars worldwide, but it took this idea that you can make a movie on the cheap with any tool that's at your disposal and mm-hmm. make and make it palatable to studios and to producers. Yeah. Um, and it took a while for its legacy to be appreciated. I do think that it took the success of Paranormal Activity you know, being like the next movie in the that style to really show, oh, no, this is not a one trick pony. Um, yeah. I don't know if we've had a better year for movies in 20 years than 1999. When you look at just what came out during that year, how important a year yeah. that is in movie history. But I do think that overall, it's not just a great movie, but it's a very important movie. What I found really fascinating when we interviewed Eduardo Sanchez uh, and I'm proud of this question because I've not really seen him tackle this is like that feeling of being overwhelmed with the success of something like this. Um, I haven't really heard him speak of that anywhere else. If that has to be intimidating to have something really become such a phenomenon and then have totally. to wrestle with that legacy after. So speaking totally. of legacies, we don't do anything small here. So Jerry, what's next? Who, uh, the biggest love of my life is next. <laughs> my wife's gonna kill me for saying that. Okay, the yes. second biggest, uh, Halloween series. I love hey, the Halloween come franchise. Go, man. People come they and go. They really do. They really do. I'm sorry. The Halloween. Like, I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Sorry. The Halloween franchise to me is just everything I love about horror, and it is also what I. Uh, one of the things I love so much about it is that it is also a series. It brings me fulfillment as far as a horror fan, but it is also a series that drives me absolutely fucking crazy. There are entries in the Halloween franchise that I like not only do not like, but despise with a passion. But I love that about it. I love that the Halloween series has so much to offer, good and bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited to dive so deep into that. We have so many great guests lined up. Uh, fellow journalists, uh, writers. I mean, Anya Stanley is going to talk about Halloween six and Dan Farron's, you know, like that's huge for us. Uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of her writing. Can't wait to hear that. Uh, we have Alan Howard lined up. He's already said he wants to do it. I mean, we have so many surprises and you know, you would think I just blew the surprises, but we have so many things lined up that I, I am just so excited to bring these to the listeners. Right. Jerry, we, we are recording this, I think, probably about two weeks before we record our first show on Halloween. Uh, yes. I'm a little bit intimidated uh, to cover this series, not because I don't think we can discuss it. Uh, and I, this is where I'm really grateful to have someone like Jerry, who has such a, not only a passion for 
the series in the first movie in particular, but can speak about it with passion and intelligence, I worry, like, what am I going to add to the legacy of this movie that others haven't covered? Amy Nicholson did an incredible series of podcasts on Halloween leading up to the release of the 2018 film. I would seek that out on uh, the Ringer Podcast Network. Um, It was amazing what she could do as a podcaster when she didn't have someone mansplaining everything to her uh, every two seconds. Uh, And also Halloweenies. um, Mm -hmm. The podcast Halloweenies did incredible deep dives. So, Well, here's the deal, Mike. Uh, And I, I don't mean this to like talk up our podcast. But one of the things that I enjoy about doing the show with you so much mm-hmm. is that you and I, we study the movies, you know, in an analytical sense, too. Mm-hmm. But what I think sets us apart, just for me personally, is that every episode is about how we, you and I process them, how right. we feel about them, our experiences. And we really care about our guests' experiences with these mm-hmm. films. And whether or not the Halloween's franchise is like your shit 100% like it is mine. I think that the episodes will be great because our podcast revolves around what films mean to us and our guests. Right. So I think that will be what sets our Halloween episodes apart from a lot of other right. podcasts because those are their experiences and these will right. be 100% what they mean to us. Like I'm so looking forward to discussing what I think of Dr. Loomis as a psychiatrist and mental health practitioner. Um, I think Nat and I are going to have a very interesting discussion about that. Um, I'm interesting in exploring, you know, because Halloween in 1978 was so groundbreaking. And I, I am fascinated sometimes with how these movies play for an audience 40 years on. Like, if you show yeah. that movie to an 18-year-old now, can they hang with it? Someone who's conditioned on the conjuring verse, can they hang with something with Halloween that would be, aside from the nudity, you have a PG movie. Yeah, you literally have a PG-13 movie at this point. Can you hang with that? Um, so I'm interested in exploring this movie through the lens of Jerry's and I's children, what they think of this movie, because I am a very irresponsible parent that lets my child watch movies that she's far too young for. Well, my, my son Dexter, that was on the Jason X episode briefly, uh, that kid, uh, it, one of my favorite things to do is ask him to just go off on all the masks of the Halloween franchise. Mm-hmm. He can spend, I have set on my stairway in, inside my apartment and just watched him and listened to him talk for a good 15, 20 mm-hmm. minutes on everything that works and everything that doesn't. Uh, like, I cannot wait to somehow involve our children in that series. Yep. So I, 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 for one, you know, really looking forward to that should take us through the end of the year, because I think as we've seen with the when when we are passionate about something we're doing, we don't stick to the one movie, one episode rule, Um, you know, and with 11 movies to tackle in the Halloween franchise, you know, we have a plan. Not only uh, uh, Alan going to join us to talk about the musical legacy of John Carpenter, but also the author of the book Score to Death is going to be yes, coming Death. on to talk about, like, say, the first three soundtracks overall. Um, 
and listeners were trying to get John Carpenter on the show. Just not a John Carpenter, not the John Carpenter. <laughs> you know, John Carpenter, the uh, doctor, the, John dentist, Carpenter. the construction yeah. worker. Let's know. Yeah. Just like I, I just think that would be hysterical. Um, especially if they've never seen it. Like, I'm or not like, that John how does the How did the movie's success affect you? And he's like, what? I still work at what? McDonald's. <laughs> so, yeah. So we definitely need to do that. So thank you once again for bearing with us. Um, like I said, it's a beautiful sunny day. I need to actually get some chores done or I'm going to get murdered. Um, so you find us over at The Pod and The Pendulum. We will be, next time you hear us, We'll be tackling 1978's John Carpenter's Halloween. All right. Have a great one, man. All right. Have a good one.